Uh, it was called Mitten Made, but yeah. we essentially just had like a little setup in a garage that we used to print these out and sell them to people on Etsy. What uh, what made you think of that? I don't know. It was like we wanted to make money somehow, and this guy had a CNC machine, and we're like, "What? Like, what sells well on like what sells well to these on like Etsy and whatnot?" But a lot of like soccer moms and whatnot absolutely dig this sort of stuff, and we're like, "That's our target like, demographic. Let's run some Facebook ads." Sales. <laughs> what? What sells? Arana Ventures. All right. Well, let's get let's get started. All right. Um, happy to kick off, you know, our second podcast. Uh, I think we're going to call this one episode one or episode 0.1. Um, yeah. We got our little pilot on the shot. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of logistical upgrades here. I think it was a good start. Anyways. Yeah. Let's get started. Um, Today, we're kind of doing this remotely for the next few months. We're going to be doing this podcast remotely because uh, we're going to be in different places. I'm going to be staying in Michigan. Abdul over here is in Michigan right now, but going to be in London the next few months. How do you feel about that? Excited. Haven't really, you know, stayed for a long period of time or over like a month in any other country. So this is going to be interesting. Um, already starting to make a couple of connections in the sort of blockchain, blockchain scene in London. Obviously, it's very compact and close, so everything is, you know, tight-knit. So it'll be exciting to see how it, it plays out over the next few months. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I know you've been looking a lot into identity. Uh, I do want to talk about that today. Um, I'll say this. With the, a lot of the projects I've been looking at, identity, I've never seen it be this prominent of a focus from a developer perspective in a while. Um, I think a lot of it is probably because it's the bear market. So I think there's a lot more focus on more of that kind of technical stuff as opposed to just like, you know, throwing up iterations of what already exists to try and pump it. But it's more like, let's get into the deeper tech and solve the long-term problems that we see in the blockchain space. So I think identity right. is absolutely one of them. Exactly. Um, and I know you, you've yeah. been doing your 3000 research, right? Like going through the 3000 yeah. coins and tokens on, on CoinGecko, right? And yeah. from there, we're starting to see a bunch of different trends and whatnot. We're trying to aggregate like a more holistic picture of what's going on. In terms of identity in particular, have you seen any sort of like projects in like the higher market cap tier? Because personally, I haven't seen too many that have taken off or are that prominent. Um, No. No, actually, uh, I would say I've seen a few different ways of doing it. One is the L1 approach where you have a layer one that's, you know, maybe highly focused on uh, adopting TradFi. So there needs to be a lot of regulation involved. So they're like a privacy enabled, KYC enabled, identity enabled uh, blockchain. That's one approach I've seen. Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of those sort of projects have been around for a few years, to be fair. Um, and but it does feel like they're making a heavier push now because um, there is a bit more of an opportunity of an open door for them at the moment. These are L one projects. Like the yeah. core of the chain is that they are based on identity. Yep. Um, 
I'd say it's usually a mix of identity and privacy, right? Trying to be a blockchain that an institution can come in or an enterprise can come in and conduct their business on. Um, There are a couple that that want to, you know, bring stocks onto the blockchain, for example, right? And, you know, not surprised a lot of these institutions might want some of that identity to understand um, who's an accredited investor and so on. And uh, the other main approach I've seen is really just, you know, a company that's trying to do identity as its main thing. It's not a blockchain. It's, you know, exactly what you and I might be looking for, a way to provide an identity associated with your wallet. Now, I've actually seen less of those. I've seen more of the L1 so far. Um my hope is we see more of those moving forward, right? Like I would love a way to, because what I don't want to do is use different applications and require to have KYC. I think that's ridiculous to go into one of these applications and have KYC and like have to go through the process of KYC with every single application, right? With, with the Uniswap, with Immutable X. I would rather just have that identity wrapped into my wallet and that wallet goes with me. So I so the wallet is the only place that has that data. Nobody accesses that data, right? All they need to know is that I'm KYC. They don't need to know the details of my KYC. They just need to know that this wallet is KYC. And so there are starting to be um, some projects coming out going with that approach, which I really believe in, but um, a lot less than I expected. So the, the uh, reason I yeah. think you're not seeing them is because a lot of these projects don't need a token and are not listing a token because it's not it's simply not required. If That's, you're releasing an that, L1, that might be a good point. Or, yeah, or if, if you have an L, an L1 or an L2, if you have a blockchain, right, that you're dedicating directly to running a security and identity based blockchain, you're going to release some sort of token for consensus for privacy for for running the blockchain itself for managing it, and so that is likely not a necessity if you're releasing some other sort of structure or if some other structure is being released by a company because there are companies doing this like microsoft has an initiative that they're trying to create a method to have sovereign identities they're doing something like that but they're not going to release like a token that's going to be present on CoinGecko that you can just buy on uniswap right it's not going to be that way um it's going to be you know it's going to be more so centralized than we would like um, especially these sorts of businesses. And so it's curious to see what path is most effective and efficient. And I do agree. It'd be nice to have like, you know, a, a wallet that you can just have uh, without any sort of like direct attachment to a blockchain. Because when you build on like an L1, you're restricting yourself a little bit because then you have to, you have to come up with ways to become interoperable. And that's a whole different issue because your wallet has to transport to like, like, like Ethereum. If, you're, mm-hmm. if, you're pri- if your identity is not available on something like Ethereum, the most prominent blockchain, then it's effectively useless because that's where all the TVL is. That's where all the activity is. That's where all the dApps are. So I think that's a consequence of like how the structure is set up. I think that's a really good point. I did not think about that, that the fact that um, the interoperability, like you, if you have this one wallet that has your identity that has you assigned right we're starting to see a bit of that with like ens and stuff but um you wouldn't need to bring that with you you wouldn't want to do that with every single wallet because that has the same issue it kind of just defeats the whole purpose um so yeah, yeah you're right interoperability would have to get to a point where um 
that won't be a problem. And we're clearly just not there yet. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and with like with other projects too, like for example, um, ever since Vitalik sort of announced his, I mean, this is not a very novel idea, but he just sort of coined it because he loves to coin stuff like the soul bound NFTs, right? Which is just non-transferable yeah. NFTs. Um, this really got a little bit more popular at the beginning of, um, well, like June, July, 2022. Um, and this really led to a couple of other projects trying to look at their, especially L2s really, um, trying to look at their system, their mechanisms and saying, how can we incorporate something like reputation into this to make our system more effective? And one project that I've seen recently that is trying to do this is um, is Metis. Metis is an, L, is an L2 and they're an optimistic L2. And they have a program called like a matrix reputation power. I think that's what they call it. Um, and this system is basically run on a bunch of different badges, like for partaking, you know, participating in different activities in the network, you get these different NFTs and these are non-transferable NFTs. And this allows for like a system of, um, you know, like a credit score to be established or people like in a game that that's launched on Metis, they have like these different badges, right? And you don't want people to transfer them because this is like experience-based stuff. You have to play the game to earn these badges. So um, you can't transfer these NFTs. So a lot of L2s are trying to incorporate something like this um, and Metis is trying to do it in a way that it that it is interoperable throughout different Ethereum platforms, in other words, different L2s. Um, and that's the main idea there. So it's curious to see if like a lot of the a lot of the other like identity projects that were released, say prior to this present bull market, say around 2018, 2017, um, even 2019, some of the projects that were released earlier on, you're right. They were L1s. And you will see a lot of these L1s in that 3000 research. And, and if you scroll down a little bit in Coina, on CoinGecko, you'll find some of these. And one of these projects, for example, is is Civic. Um, Civic is a is one of the projects that sort of does this. They came out a while ago. Um, they're not exactly new, but they're trying to come up with like an L, like an L1, a base layer that basically, like you said, it's based on privacy, it's based on identity. And one of the main things they wanted to solve was the KYC issue, because KYC right now is very, very ineffective. Um, especially when you're looking at a bunch of different organizations, like financial organizations, each of them have to have their own method of running KYC. Each of them do it over and over again. Like when I go to create a Binance account, and then I go to create like some, uh, like VV also requires it, which is like an NFT marketplace. So I go to VV to do KYC, I go to Binance to do KYC, and then I go to my bank or whatever to do KYC. Each of them has a separate process that they do. They require the same sort of information. They are requiring me to scan my face, provide proof of residence, provide like a bank statement, all of the same stuff, but each of them does it separately. So the idea with Civic is like, you're you're allowed to own this identity, this information that you have. And then you're also, you, you have one person that verifies it. And then you can send it across different different uh, applications instead of doing it over and over again. So it makes the system way more effective. And there's some stat that I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's a couple billion dollars spent in total, like tens of billions of dollars that are spent in running KYC and AML. And it's just a very ineffective system. And if you create a distributed system to do this, it will solve a lot of issues. There are so many fantastic points there I want to hit. Um, two in particular. The first one is you made a great point that it's not just what we typically think of as identity, as in uh, 
what's on your driver's license, what you submit as KYC, those things that identify you, you know, on an everyday basis. But it's also those intermediaries that you can identify yourself with right now on the blockchain, right? With, uh, for example, like what you said with Midas, um, those non-transferable NFTs do create an identity, right? They attach you to certain things you did, certain places you visited, um, and like you said, build a credit score. Right. And that credit score is part of your identity. We just don't, you know, often think of it that way. Uh, ENS names is another example, right? Arana, we we have our ENS, aranaventures.eth. Uh, you can find us on there. Um, and that's also a massive part of identity. Um, and there's so many other, and to that point, I want to <clears> add, to that point, like there's so many parts of identity that we don't really take as identity, like you said, and these are behavioral aspects. So when I ask you, who are you, you're going to tell me like your name. And then I see you like your physical embodiment, right? I can see you as a, as a person. And that partly is used to verify your identity. I mean, biometrics is, um, you know, you runs your fingerprints retinal scans, et cetera, all of these sort of things they require physical presence, but there's also a sort of identity that is established with behavior. And this is largely recorded online. I mean, a digital footprint is exactly that it's your behavior on the web. Anything that you do is that is connected to the internet. It's recorded in some sort of man manner. The, the data is present there and companies use this for advertising, recording information, governments use this, all of these types of things, whether it's for malicious purposes or whether it's for, you know, just making, um, just making money, et cetera. But all this stuff is recorded and the most, the, even the slightest things are recorded. For example, uh, if we take, you know, vehicles nowadays are all connected to the internet now. Um, say you have a Tesla. This is connected to a bunch of different devices. You have like this, the big screen in the middle of your car that you can connect to the internet. You can watch, you can watch movies on, you can, you can uh, play video games on, connect it to a council, all of these different things. But that's not the only thing that's being recorded. What also can be recorded is your driving patterns, how you move about with a steering wheel, how much pressure you apply to the, you know, to the brakes and to the, to the accelerator, all of these micro things we think of as, you know, just data waste, data dump. It doesn't really matter. It's all in the periphery, but no, if you take somebody's driving patterns over the course of a long period, say a year or two years or three years, you can map out a person. And this adds to your repertoire of like, who you are, right? And it can lead to making an identity of who you are. And this is where it becomes really a problem because a lot of these different things can be used maliciously. And the way they're currently stored, it's not a very, it's not, it's not a great, it's not great because it's all stored in one data bank. And that's just a, that, <laughs> that's just a mound of gold waiting to be hacked. And so with blockchain, one of the, one of the pros with this data is that no matter what type of data is being um, is being attained by these companies or by your behaviors, it can all be encrypted. It can all be saved and it can all be owned by you. And then you, with your permission, decide who you give that data to. That's like the vision we're looking at because no small act, every, sm every act will now be recorded when everything is connected, especially with IOT and whatnot. Every single thing that you do adds to your digital identity through behavior. And I think that's something that people really miss because it's not just your name. It's not just your address. It's what you do as a person that really matters. You're, uh, you're scaring me a little, 
and it's because yeah, you're it's right. It's kind of like a dystopian <laughs> future, right? I, I, I don't like it. A lot of people don't like it, and there are two there are two ways to go about it. There's the way where you can have it, you can own your stuff, right? Yeah, and you can encrypt it, and there's the other route which we really want to avoid. That's the dystopia we're trying to sort of subvert with blockchain, right? Um, I do want to change the topic a little bit to uh, a couple of airdrops that are coming out this month. And, um, well, sorry, one's an airdrop, the other is an IDO. And it's a couple of projects that are getting a lot of hype on Twitter. And I'm seeing a lot of similarities between the two of them that, um, you know, maybe could be extrapolated to what a lot of the next year could look like. So the two projects are Blur, which is an NFT marketplace, and uh, STFX, which is similar to a trading vault, but not exactly. Um, so Blur, what Blur is trying to do is take NFTs, which by definition mean non-fungible tokens, and create a marketplace that allows them to be somewhat fungible that adds fungible elements uh, for them to be more tradable. So think about like Board Ape Yacht Club. You have 10,000 Board Ape Yacht Clubs out there. Uh, across those 10,000, each one's unique. However, most of them are priced at roughly the same amount. So from a financial perspective, most of them, if you look purely at finances and ignore the art aspect of it, most of them are fungible. They're the same right? Financially. So you have not just Blur, but a, a handful of projects. Blur is probably the most prominent coming out, trying to make it so these uh, these NFTs that have a similar price point in the same collection are fungible, tradable one-to-one. -one. And so you can do things like, like sweep floors. Um, you can put it into an AMM styled DEX where you have multiple of these NFTs in the same collection together at the same price, and you can just throw one in there and take one out um, randomly. More of like an NFT Fi system. And Blurs seems to be doing a really good job, seems to be getting a lot of hype from the OGs, well-known traders in the space. And their market share is quickly climbing to about 30-40% of the NFT market share, slowly closing in on OpenSea, which is crazy. Um, and with their airdrop, they're doing their third and final airdrop. However, there's some concerns. And uh, one of the concerns is after their air is that these airdrops are why they're seeing all that volume. That's one concern, right? Um, another concern is there's no clear utility with the Blur token, right? And I've tried to look for its documentation. Its documentation is limited. Uh, there really isn't a lot there. I couldn't even find a white paper. Maybe it's because I wasn't looking in the right places, but I don't think there is one. Um, now with STFX. STFX is getting a lot of hype too. What they do is kind of like trading vaults. It's more like trading competitions where um, say you have someone that has a trading strategy they want to implement. And obviously crypto is a very fast moving area where if you have a trading strategy that you find that works, you need to essentially take advantage of it right then and there. You can't really wait. And you want to find a way to collect as many funds as possible to do that. 
Um, now, obviously, the lending space right now, in order to borrow the funds to do that trading strategy, is extremely limited, and it should be. Just well, especially the under collateralized lending, it should not be the way it's been. Um, that liquidity is just not on the table right now. But SCFX has been able to provide an opportunity where essentially you fundraise from other individuals to execute that strategy. So say you have a really good strategy. Um, I'll just say like an arbitrage strategy because apparently there's this one uh, centralized exchange that is super low in liquidity and is like really inefficient. Great. You can hop in, take care of that arbitrage opportunity and so on. Um, now you can go on SCFX and raise money for it. Um, they're going to be doing an IDO, initial DEX offering. And overall, I think both Blur and SCFX are projects I think Arana might want to invest in. Um, but with SCFX, a couple of concerns I see are one, from a trading perspective, I don't believe that traders are that willing to announce their strategy in order to raise money for it, right? That's one. And then two is there's also a lot of that VC influence going on on the back end. Obviously, VCs often, often are a good thing, um, but you need to be a little careful, right? Sorry about that. Um, so the, there are a couple of concerns across both of them. And I'd say the main themes I'm seeing are one, there's still a lot of a focus on trading, which still seems to be the number one use case. Um, personally, I don't love that. I think, you know, looking for use cases outside of trading is more important. And the fact that there's so much money and attention on these two, as opposed to a lot of the other projects, um, kind of shines a light on that. So the, I said a lot of negatives. However, I will say there's one big positive I'm noticing in these two. I know I'm saying a lot, but just give me a second. Um, the one big positive I'm seeing is a new approach to equity. Now, right now, when you have a traditional company, let's use Tesla. That was my car example. Told you I'd mention one. But... Um, the Tesla stock, obviously, <clears throat> when it's launched, there's no formal way of enacting your voting power. And a lot of stocks don't have voting power, right? There's no formal way to do it. Um, there's a really difficult way to buy and sell this stock. And the dividends are fairly limited. And it's opaque exactly whether a stock's going to get dividends and how much of the profit is going to go into dividends, if any. And um, there is no utility with it, right? It's completely speculative. So if you have a stock that's not paying out dividends, it is 110% a speculative investment based on, if you think about it from a value investment perspective, based on the future potential of receiving dividends, right? So if you think about like most tech companies that don't pay out dividends, that's really what you're looking at, um, which is not different than a lot of cryptos. But say you take that stock and convert it onto the blockchain, right? Technically, what you've done is tokenize the stock. So it is now a token. 
And with that stock, what you have is a few things. One, from a governance perspective, you have a DAO, right? A DAO that where you can vote. Two, <clears throat> from a trading perspective, it's obviously instantaneous. Three, from a dividends perspective, you, you can now clearly see, and, and we see this with Blur and STFX, they have very clear profitability models of a certain amount of revenue comes in, this much goes to the token holders, and it's not on a quarterly basis. You don't wait at the end of the quarter to see, all right, this is how much, uh, this, is, this is the company's earnings, this is how much I'm getting. You see it in real time. As the earnings are building up, you're earning the money on the token. Um, and it's very, and you know ahead of time exactly how much of the earnings are going to be yours. And then lastly, you can also implement utility. So for something like uh, a Tesla stock, right? I think there are a couple things that if Tesla was able to tokenize its stock could do some really cool things. The first thing is, say you purchase a Tesla car. Now you can earn a Tesla stock for owning that car and be part of the Tesla family and be part of its DAO, right? Because imagine right now, you're an owner of the Tesla car, but you don't own any Tesla. So you're not really part of the governance. You're not really part of it. You just have the product, right? But being able to own a share and contribute in a DAO that also has like the community of people real time there can provide a lot of utility and can kind of provide some sort of ownership for the owner of the car. And the second thing is you obviously have, um, you have an economy in Tesla right now. It just not looked that way. If you think about the car batteries and how the car batteries work right now, um, sorry, the charging stations, Tesla and other providers that are having to put charging stations around the world for drivers to use, right? But you could have a decentralized setup where owners can lend out their charging station. Like my dad, who actually has a Tesla, he lives half a mile from the highway and there's no charging station for Tesla's in like a 10, 15 mile radius. He can just have his station up and anybody can come by, use his, use his station and pay the Tesla stock with it because now it's a token. That becomes, that becomes even more interesting when you have autonomous driving because when you allow for cars to self-direct themselves, they can direct themselves to houses and that makes it a lot more by nature physically decentralized as well. So you can add like, that's an interesting idea because you can have an autonomous system that's running in the physical world and on top of it, you can layer tokens with it and drive economics on it. Yeah, absolutely. So you're able to combine utility into this because that's what a token enables you to do. And this is a really, I guess, long-winded way of saying, looking at Blur and STFX um, and kind of their token models, I am starting to see a lot of this come in as they're treating it as a little bit like equity and then wrapping some utility into it over time so that it's like a new form of equity model. And I think it could be really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that enables that like direct profit sharing is if you tried to do that with the current infrastructure, it's just implausible. Everything is more slow and clunky with a traditional system. And when you base it off of like a blockchain or completely an, an entirely digital system, 
that is decentralized, it makes the communication between different parties a lot easier. And it allows for that money to be sent continuously. Like for, for example, like one of the other examples for, for this would be when you're making payments, uh, when, when an employer is in paying an employee, you do it like on a biweekly basis. And that means there's like a delay period for capital, capital to be used effectively, right? So you can limit that by using smart contracts that automatically pay because the technology itself is more efficient. And so that yeah. business model makes sense because the technology enables that business model to come into fruition because it's just a lot more effective than the current system. So I think that's definitely an interest, interesting point. And it adds another layer for why you should perhaps turn to like a tokenized model rather than just just a traditional stock or equity model. So that's something that, you know, it's it's very interesting to point out because a lot of people do ask the question, isn't it just the same thing, but you're just putting it on yeah. a chain or making it a token? No, there's yeah. an actual yeah. utility that is being added to the system because of this. Yeah, absolutely. One last question I do have for you here is that now we're talking about these NFTs and these different trading, trading yeah. aspects yeah. and making these like non-fungible tokens effectively fungible. You're creating like this um it's nft it, you're financializing nfts and we've seen something interesting with DeFi recently is that it's reached some sort of asymptote that means the innovation itself is increasing very marginally and you're seeing like just complexities being added to DeFi without any sort of you know true improvements or true utility that actually helps customers or helps users so do you think this is the direction that nfts are going into and therefore do you think we should be investing in projects like this because they may turn into those DeFi projects that are complex, complicated for no, you know, no real reason? That's a that's a fantastic question. Um, what I will say is, NFT Fi, or I don't know about NFT Fi. I also don't love the name, even though yeah, that is what people call it. Um, what I will say is the is the somewhat of a fungibility of an NFT, I think will be a thing. And I'm saying this more from the perspective of gaming. Um, because if you think about playing a game and you own an item, yes, that item is an NFT and it is in a way non-fungible. However, there are other items that are pretty much the same, like in uh, the beacon we we own a barrel i don't know if you know that we own a barrel our, our proud little barrel um but there's more than just that one barrel right there are tons of barrels so all of those barrels would be pretty much fungible so i think some sort of i guess nft5 setup that kind of utilizes the fungibility in non-fungible tokens is going to be there yeah that makes sense it makes more some some aspects of the market will become more effective and efficient if that is included, right? Absolutely, and I do actually think we're already seeing this in, in the gaming world already. Like a lot of these smaller marketplaces that are independent to specific games, already do that. Hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I do think we are running. I think we are. I think this is us wrapping it up. We got less than a minute in the left hand corner, so yeah.